Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 56 of the Citizen Dame podcast, the podcast where we cannot have nice things. And we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, I am Karen Peterson, joined, as always, by Kristen Lopez. I overslept. (laughs) (laughs) And Kimberly Pierce. I've had two cups of coffee, so I'm good. Oh, she's raring to go. I I am set. (laughs) Lauren Humphreys Brooks is not with us today, probably because she was out until 5 in the morning celebrating that the Red Sox lost in the second World Series game that happened yesterday, since it was basically... Two games in one. 18 innings, 7 hours and 20 minutes. Ouch. It was crazy. Yeah, I watched like 6 hours of that. Yeah, so. you're a committed baseball fan, aren't you? You know, it gets to a point where you're like, it's gonna end right now, right? And then you're just, you're in it so long that you just can't look away. I did you're, fall asleep a committed. couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. I fell asleep a couple of times and then I was just like, I would wake up and I'm like, wait, this still isn't over? <laughs> look at the clock what time is it (laughs) yeah exactly so anyway uh so it's us three today and we've got some stuff to talk about we've got kind of an agenda we do um some of it good and some of it uh actually is any of it good i don't know we'll see um (laughs) it feels like there's so much bleak in the world this this is just a bleak Um, world yeah yeah well we don't really have much in the way of garbage people to talk about this week so that's some positivity always always a plus i think it's more that we just didn't put anything on the agenda (laughs) or you can take that spin on it too (laughs) yeah yeah well let's just dive into stuff that that sucked this week um so they are in early talks to remake clueless wah 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 (laughs) Uh, so Clueless, of course, from 1995, was um, brilliant and wonderful. And now they're going to say, hey, we had this really successful girl power comedy in the 90s. Let's let's remake it. Why not? Instead Time for of having... Me Too Clueless. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's like instead of like encouraging girls to watch the movie that came out 23 years ago it's, let's just make it again for a new crowd and and they are doing some things so you've got tracy oliver who is um producing it right and marquita robinson is writing it do i have that backwards uh i don't know anyway um so they're writing and producing there's not a director attached yet but since the original was directed by amy heckerling who's an amazing woman I'm guessing they'll have the remake directed by a man, because of course they will. Um, Kristen, Kim, why don't you guys just talk about how terrible and sad this is. Uh, I mean, as as someone who loves the original Clueless with fiery passion, I could maybe see an attempt to redo it if they were going to go 180 degrees from what it is. I mean... Clueless is a remake of Emma. 
essentially. It's a it's a well, remake. it's not a remake. It's an adaptation. It's an adaptation. It's loosely based. It's not. It's actually not. <laughs> no, it's, you, it's, it's very before. closely yeah. tied. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. it's, yeah. Um. So yeah. I mean, if they were going to do a story about an African American girl growing up in Beverly Hills and the culture shock there. Like, that might be interesting, but that's not an adaptation of Emma. Therefore, it is not exactly. a remake of Clueless. So I don't really know. This is the problem when you don't know film history. <laughs> because if you think that it's just a movie about a girl growing up in Beverly Hills and finding love, like, you really miss what Heckerling was doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my concern is, you know, when you make a copy of a copy, it's never as sharp, it's never as clear, it, the image is never as good. And I feel like that's what this is going to be. This isn't what they, if if they really want to do this right, it needs to be another adaptation of Emma inspired by Clueless. But it doesn't sound like that's what they're doing. It sounds like they're just straight up making a remake of Clueless, which is entirely the wrong point. See, I consider it a positive. Somebody, they're not going, we'll do Clueless just with dudes. <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> At least there are girls. And they do have a woman writing it. So that's... We've that's got to cling on to the positives. <laughs> yeah. And it's... She wrote Girls Strip, right? I yes. Think? That was the name. That's so, what I saw. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I just... Can we just have original content? Well, no, because and... people don't go see that. Yeah, as we just had an episode about a brilliant original film that nobody saw. That opened yeah, number that is... seven in the box office. Okay, well, yeah, but I'm you doing know how my many part. Comments? I'm going to see it a fourth time tomorrow. See, I'm going to see it for a third time tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see plug. it a second time this week. Shameless but plug look for at how many times the Royale, uh, which, That's right. which, according to Twitter... This is breaking news, by the way, and I have to share it with you guys because I think it's hilarious. I woke up to a barrage of messages from randos on Twitter about why I have two different rated reviews of A Star is Born on Rotten Tomatoes. Obviously, I am being paid by big sites to say terrible <laughs> things about it, and I have no mind of my own. So, back to the El Royale. I will take my money and my Chris Hemsworth anytime you'd like to send it to me. <laughs> uh, you know, I so only clueless. support the ponies, okay? The winners. Well, yeah. <laughs> you were getting so... bash Bradley Cooper. Man. I'm getting paid to both brash, bash Bradley Cooper and love Bradley Cooper, apparently. Right. Yes. Anybody is confused. The Rotten Tomatoes reviews for this show are collective. There's four of us, Mm -hmm. so I play averages. Three of us didn't like A Star Is Born. I rated Rotten. My review on my website, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. But I can't do middling on Rotten Tomatoes, so I did. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. If only Rotten Tomatoes had a. Yeah, had a man. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, Clueless from Paramount coming to a theater probably like next week, the way they do these things. Yeah, yeah. So. Twitter randos <laughs> online all the time. Yeah, that is also true. Um, so speaking of movies and um, things that we love and whatever, um, Wonder Woman has been delayed, but... I wish I think this is a good thing. I wish thing. we had a, like a scream audio function on here, just like breathing <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> into the void. <laughs> it's true, but here's the thing. So 
originally Wonder Woman 1984 was slated to come out in December, like the week before the the ninth Star Wars movie, Yikes. episode nine. Yeah, so then when they were looking at the schedule and they're like, um, let's not have Wonder Woman and Ray compete against each other. Yeah, no. So then they they moved up Wonder Woman to November. So it was going to come out like five or six weeks before the last Star Wars movie. And now they're actually pushing it. They're pushing it back. Instead of moving it up, they're pushing it back to the summer of 2020. So it's actually going to come out the same weekend uh, in 2020 that the first one came out in 2017. So I think this is a good thing because they're, they're, they're saying we trust Wonder Woman to have a gangbuster summer and to just be like the big movie of the summer, which the first one was last year. So, uh, so yeah, I think this is, this is actually a positive thing. It's a bummer. I don't want to wait an extra seven months to see Wonder Woman, but I think where they're putting it is actually a, a vote of confidence and not, um, not signs that this is a problem. What do you guys think? I would completely agree. That's actually, I'd love your analysis on that because that gives me hope. I was supremely, supremely bummed. I know when I saw that moved, but hearing that that's exactly why they were doing it, that makes so much more sense because I love that franchise and love everything about it. So I want to see it succeed and no matter what coming out before the last star Wars coming out right near the last star Wars trilogy for now, that's not going to help it succeed. So let's set it up for success. And we all know that to put it that close to a star Wars movie would have just caused me to die because you can't put wonder woman like, I'm already excited about that. You can't put that next to Star Wars. Oh, wait, isn't I mean, Wonder Woman got Pedro Pascal in it, too? Conspiracy, they're not allowed to actually be in the same <laughs> time frame release. So, because even Oscar Isaac are besties. That might have had air quotes in the theater time. together. Yeah, <laughs> they might have had air quotes around it. But the point is, obviously, that's not going to happen. So Putting I, Monsieur Pine and Oscar Isaac so close uh, together, it might set us up for, you know, the box office to collectively explode. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, I mean, I understand it. I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. I mean, it does mean that we have to wait seven extra months to find out how the hell dead Steve Trevor is wandering through a 1980s mall with a fanny um, pack. Karen, but you know what? That's okay. Karen, did he not say <laughs> he was above average? He is above average. <laughs> oh, and I have seen the evidence of that. Oh, don't so. tell me. I have the screener. I'm watching Outlaw King this weekend, okay? Oh my god, I cannot wait to hear your reaction. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> moving on. Um, HBO has hired an intimacy coordinator for all of their shows and uh, limited series and stuff. So this is an article that came from IndieWire. And basically there were some problems on the set of The Deuce. I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that James Franco is involved with that show. Sure, it's totally just a coincidence, but um, <laughs> they have hired an intimacy coordinator to ensure safe conditions for the show's apparently many sex scenes. Um, did you guys read the article? I, I did, and I, I've heard, too, it's also in response to Westworld had a lot of yeah. issues, too. You know, yeah. no, never mind that I've 
those that whole show with all that nudity that's gotta be so uncomfortable and then game of thrones we all know what goes on in that show i love these shows all to death but i it looks like they and i just read the article but i am spacing out her name they are going into they made it sound like they're going into some the what they do in theater so this intimacy coordinator is going to be working with the performers and then the creative team through every step of the process, making sure appropriate consent is given, making sure directors are using the right language. It sounds, knowing HBO, as we all know HBO, it sounds like a very good, very smart move for them. Kristen? I mean, I don't watch HBO shows, so I can't comment on I know there is a lot of sex, so it's it's kind of funny how HBO pretty much stands for, like, holy boner orgies now. Um, because that seems to be everything I hear about regarding their television shows. So I'm glad it's happening, but, I mean, they still have James Franco on there, so I don't really know, like, how much work one can do. I'm just imagining passing out business cards with the title Intimacy Coordinator on them. I feel like I yeah, could do that job. Everything is a job now, clearly. I feel I could do that job. Sure. Yep. All right. So let's see. Moving on. Um, let's actually go to a question. Um, this is from Keith Derrick. He asked it on Twitter. Um, so this is actually in relation to GLAAD releasing their annual study. So this says, GLAAD just released their annual study on LGBT plus representation in media and representation of gays and lesbians in high is higher than it has ever been. My fear is that the business side of Hollywood will lean on this to not push for more representation. Do you feel that could result in other aspects of the LGBT plus community not receiving the same push for inclusion from Hollywood execs that the gay and lesbian community has received of late. Oh, he's specifically referring to transgendered, asexual, intersex, etc. So, what do you guys think? I mean, I'm... I'm gonna sound like the rude person here, but I'm just gonna do it. I feel like... And you guys know. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. I feel like there is this push. There is this awareness of LGBT, trans, all of that, to get them inclusion. And it's it's not moving forward, but there is an awareness of it. There is this desire to fix it in a way that, as I constantly beat the drum, you don't see for disability. And so I feel like when these articles come out, I just kind of want to like bang my head against the computer keys because I'm like... They're a group that people know about. They are they are a group that is actively pushing for inclusion. There are so many advocates. And I, I feel like we have more issues with them in with their their rights in the country than we do in film right now. Um, and so it just leads to my whole inclusion. Like we stop at LG, like LGBT trans, that's where we stop when we talk about diversity. We don't talk about anything else. And so I feel like it's it's moving it's moving forward if that makes if that makes sense. I very hard to follow that up, Kristen. I think that was very well stated. I 
I don't know. This is a hard one because, I mean, looking at the business, I truly hope not. I mean, I don't think that the industry quite works like that. I mean, with every... I mean, how many reports have we had seeing there's, you know, not enough women working in the industry, yet there's never been an uptick of, you know, there's the upticks and there are slow and painful. So I don't think the industry looks at these reports and goes, oh, okay, we're good. You know, no more. Um, I completely agree. I think that it's moving in the right direction. Um, I do not feel like an expert at all to speak on this. I think it needs to keep moving, but I don't think... I don't think the industry is just going to say, okay, we're good here. I think one of the things that we need to all remember is that these changes take time. Unfortunately, it shouldn't. It should be like, oh, hey, we've been screwing this up. Let's fix it right now. But, you know, I mean, look look at women and the number of female directors that apparently Jason Blum can't find. But... Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's incremental. We do see changes. I, I don't think that, that the report to specifically reference Keith's question, I don't think that that report means that people are going to throw up their hands and say, well, we fixed it. We're good. But I do think that, that it's possible some of that progress will slow down now because of the fact that there has been positive, positive forward momentum. Um, but I just, I don't know. I think that as long as people keep, you know, keep their advocacy going and they don't, they don't stop. They don't say, well, it's not going to change. So I give up now. These things will continue to move forward. Any other thoughts? No, I think you, I think you summed it up really well. Well, thank you. Okay. So, um, we can't have nice things, you guys. The world is crap, and they're taking away our film struck now. To make this it breaks worse. my heart. Please talk about why. <laughs> Where even to start in terms of the, the place as a film history buff, film historian, Filmstruck has been the first place since video stores where I can dive in for very, you know, for one low payment, you know, for one low payment a year and just experiment and check out new films. I mean, throughout my entire kind of career watching movies, Filmstruck, how they they're the star of the week potentially really was my kind of favorite thing that. I had never seen all the Gene Harlow movies in one place until Filmstruck. It was never something I really dove into, something I never really found, never seeing it there. It was like, huh, I'm interested in this. Let me check it out. You know, and being in a place where I can't necessarily drop money on Criterion's and expensive Blu-rays that I haven't seen yet, it gives you the opportunity to explore and try new things and learn names that you might not, you know, that you might not know or that you just might have missed. And placing it in there is, you know, just a stream. It removes some of the barriers that you don't have. And now facing the loss of this streaming service, turning Netflix, I mean, Netflix's classic selection is shit. I mean, there were 
I was looking at it yesterday. There were two films pre-1960, three films, I think, pre-1960, African Queen, The Third Man, and Roman Holiday, all of which I've seen. Basic, basic, basic. And Hulu is really, I don't get on Hulu that much, but it's not much better. The opportunities for experimentation with classic film is so low. And the fa- already, so losing the biggest, most powerful option there. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, as, as someone who, I hate I hate to say, because this sounds so snooty, but I, I as someone who is con- in with TCM and, and knows the people associated with Filmstruck who created it two years ago when when I went to the TCM Film Festival when they unveiled it. I mean, they were so excited to have a streaming service that wasn't just something that was catering. And and I I admit, I jumped onto Filmstruck fairly late in the game because I was like, oh, it's Criterion and World Cinema. I'm not really big on those. And then when they finally decided to add TCM content, I was like, "This this is perfect. If you don't have the ability to have the watch TCM app because you don't have cable. It's the it's the next best thing. And it opened up being able to see parts of British cinema that I hadn't hadn't seen before. Um, and world cinema. I mean, it eventually got me there and the criterion stuff, some of that criterion stuff, criterion has just on their books and they don't release it on DVD or Blu-ray. They don't see any rate of return. Um, so I mean it's it was a vital resource created by people who understood what, what was missing in the marketplace. So they created a TCM-like atmosphere on a Netflix-esque site with the intros and the bonus features and the behind-the-scenes stuff. And TCM can't comment on what happened, but it, from the sounds of it, it, this corporate merger that they're they're having um, was, didn't find any value in it and decided it was too niche. I knew that the writing had to be on the wall. I, I dreaded something was going to happen when Warner said they were going to open their own streaming site to compete with Disney next year. And I was like, well, what does that mean for Filmstruck? Well, it means that this can't exist. So I, I'm very, very sad because as I documented on Twitter yesterday, there's no value from a studio perspective where it's about money and rate of return on investment there is no benefit to releasing classic films. The amount of content that languishes in a studio vault is uh, so upsetting to me. I mean, we talk about Kino and Criterion, and and I, I'm fortunate to know classic flicks who started distributing movies. Um, the, the fact that these studios either start these classic labels and then abandon them. 20th Century Fox used to do a great classic film label and stopped it. Paramount won't even release any of their classic content unless it's something huge that they release once a year. You know, there's no benefit for these studios. So unless you are a niche label that has money to burn, to buy rights, nobody's going to release these, you know? Um, So it it is really, really sad that there, this I this just goes back to my concept of if you don't care about classic cinema, then you don't care about film. You cannot be a film a good film critic and not know the history and not have an interest in it. Um, so so it's it's very upsetting to me. And I I told people on Twitter yesterday I don't advocate piracy, but at this point 
there are places you can go. I, I will I will throw out one place, YouTube, great resource if you if you are able to look. The copies are not great, but there is stuff out there. And unfortunately, the true fans, it's going to be like music. You know, you're you're going to be able to find on the underground where where to get stuff because obviously the studios don't give a shit. Yeah, that's that's my thing on it too just to tack on to what you're saying like I definitely do not like I get really mad when people pirate movies and stuff I question whether it's really something that we should consider as piracy if they will not make this stuff available to us and they're not gonna make any money off of it anyway like who are you really stealing from the people who made this content are long gone yeah and, and so, the, the warning you know, thing at, at much like with Disney as I told people we have so much fragmentation with, with cable right now It's and, and the channels. It's doomed for an implosion because right now people want to save money by getting only channels they want to watch. If every channel, it's, it's like that adage from The Incredibles, if everyone's special, then no one is. If every channel wants you to pay $8.99 just to watch it, what's the benefit? Like, that's, that's it. It's, it's doomed to self-destruct. And if a streaming service like Disney is only offering me the 20th place to see Moana or Star Wars, there is no benefit for me getting that service. If they were going to put out everything in the Disney vault, then we might be into something. Warner, same thing. If they're just going to give me another place to see A Star is Born or whatever, I don't even know if that's a Warner's movie, um, then I don't care. I want something I can't get which is the classics. And they did Warner Archive streaming. They closed that down too. So their whole concept is is that it needs to be boffo out of the gate or else there's no benefit. And I mean, that's that's the problem. You know, you're, you're dealing with people who are passionate in their love, who are willing to spend money. It's just not millions of dollars. This is one of the conversations I got into yesterday on Twitter with someone who was like, oh, no, there's there's big, you know, there's big demand for classic films. And I was just like, well, no, there's actually not. It's just that there are a number of us that are all very vocal on Twitter that are wanting this content and are crying for this content. Um, But the thing is, even if it's not a huge demand, that doesn't mean it's not important. And we do have to preserve our film history. The reason that we keep getting 5 million remakes of the same stuff and it's of, you know, consistently lowering quality each time there's another remake is because people don't go back and watch the 1937 film with Janet Gaynor. You know, it's Well, like, and the thing is, too, is on. that there's, there's an access problem here. People growing up, you know, Karen's age, Kim's age, my age, had... You know, I read so many books about people discovering classic films on, you know, the late movie. Uh, Basic cable channels show classic films. It wasn't just relegated to TCM or Spengoolie on Saturday night. It was was other channels. And there are channels out there, places like MeTV or, uh, you know, Antenna Decades, that do cater to showing classic stuff. But unless... With those channels gone, it requires rotation. So if you have a a theater that shows Fathom events, and and I will say the cinema ended up canceling their classic series because nobody showed up. I mean, you need to give them opportunities to grow an audience. We don't grow anything anymore in film. 
You know, it has to be big out of the right. gate or it's a failure. Well, I yeah. saw Casablanca for the first time on PBS. I mean, that really was so influential to pulling me into classic film. But for the life of me, I look I look constantly and I never see even my PBS station doing classic films anymore. Um, my local PBS station did recently play A Star is Born, the Judy Garland version, and they were playing it like for weeks before the new movie came out. And that was probably the first really classic film I had seen on there in a long time. So, but for me, like, yeah, I grew up in the age of the video store and you could go and talk to people who actually knew what the crap they were talking about. Like now, I mean, we don't have video stores now, but I've gone to the movie theaters before and I've asked for a ticket to something and they're like, what? Like, oh, Fathom Events. The people just at the ticket box office, they are clueless. Mm-hmm. They're they're like, what Sunset Boulevard? That literally happened. You're no. Yeah. And um, but yeah, like when I grew up, you could go to the video store, you could go up to the counter and be like, hey, this is this is the kind of stuff I like. What should I watch? And they would tell you and they knew because they watched them all and they loved film, too. And they were passionate about it and they were excited to it was it was like, you know, music stores. It was people who are super just into this. And now, it, well, and then I also remember, like, what Kristen was talking about, too. Like, I also remember not just the late night movies, but, like, KTLA, Channel 5 here in L.A., they used to play stuff on Saturdays and Sundays all day long. Mm-hmm. And so it's like I saw so many movies just during the day, like, on a Saturday. I'd be like, oh, what's this? And it'd be like, you know the tack of the 50 foot woman or something like that, like just random stuff. And, and it was, it was really cool. Now, because of the fact that everything is streaming or you go to your guide, you don't just stumble upon movies usually anymore. You have to, you find stuff to watch because you're looking for it. And, that's one of the things that was so great about Filmstruck is their collections. Like I'd go, huh, John Huston, let's see, what do I have, you know, what can I look at here? And then it would just be a whole bunch of John Huston movies, and then I could just pick one at random, you know? I didn't have to go specifically looking for a specific movie. And I'm, I'm as someone who did not study film in college, Filmstruck has been such a wonderful resource for me because it has not only introduced me to stuff that, like, nobody has seen in decades, but also just normal things that I should have seen by now and just didn't because of the direction that I took in my life. So I am devastated that it's going away. I, I will say that the the frightening thing, the thing that scares me is, you know, this is all the result of what was it, Warner and... What is it? What's the, the they merged with somebody big, which is the problem that we're having here. Um, and and so the thing that frightens me is that if they don't see any rate of return on this, you know, TCM is is one of those. They are the only network that I know that has a very niche amount of things they do. There are no commercials. Mm-hmm. They don't advertise for anything that's not TCM, and. Right. The fear of of that changing in the light of this is just, it's too too scary to contemplate for me right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder how they're going to be able to keep that sustainable. 
I remember the days when AMC used to show classic film. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I just, I'm already heartbroken here because we lost decades in the Denver market. I, decades was so cool because I got the chance to watch shows I have always wanted to see, but have never been able to find in syndication. Things like 77 Sunset Strip and I Married Joan discovered some shows on there that I've always known about, but even, you know, TV land back when they were showing good classic television never showed. And now we don't even have them in the Denver market. So there's never going to be a rate of return on this if there's no access to this stuff. And this emphasis on, I mean, oldies radio stations in Denver, it's ones I used to listen to that were fifties and sixties are now seventies and eighties. The classic, anything classic is just going away. And it is tragic, terrible, you know, heartbreaking. Insert whatever adjective you want. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. Um, Well, let's stop talking about sad things and talk about fun things now. Um, We are bringing back for Halloween, Fuck, Marry, Kill, the Horror Edition. But before we get to the horror edition. We actually got a couple of submissions from listeners uh, on Twitter. So thanks so much. Um, So let's see. Paula at Pause It's Paw. She submitted two, actually. So the first one, um, Fuck, Mary Kill. Channing Tatum, Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen. Oh, God. Shit. (laughs) No matter who wins, we all lose. (laughs) Kristen, okay. you start. Can, can we kill okay. all three? I killed Jonah Hill because I, I, I have to because I, I would. Um, you fuck Channing Tatum and you marry Seth Rogen because I think like he'd be a nice guy. Channing Tatum just seems way too stupid for me and I can't. <laughs> I can't mumbler. deal with that. I'm sorry. I completely agree with Kristen's order. <laughs> yeah, same. Uh-huh. Thank you. Yeah. I try. I try to please the masses. You have to. You have to kill Jonah Hill. I mean, right now. Oh, we'll yeah. get into that, but there is no other recourse for that. I'm done with Jonah Hill. Okay, so then she also sent in another trio. <laughs> oh, Kristen, this is gonna be hard. I saw this. Timothy one. Chalamet, oh. Lucas Hedges, yeah, Saoirse okay. Ronan. This is actually remarkably easy for me. <laughs> okay. So you kill Lucas Hedges. I don't get him. Let's see. But then, which of those two majestic unicorns do I keep? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd have to marry Chalamet and fuck Scherzer Ronan because, come on. <laughs> then we could all be friends, okay? Uh, Kim? See, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to mix up on this one. You fuck Chalamet. I right now, I'm just in a very awe place with Lucas Hedges. So marry Lucas Hedges, and sure, Sharonin will be my friend. <laughs> nope, you killed her. Yeah, you just killed her. Damn. God. Um, I, sorry, but Chalamet's dead to me. Oh, um, damn you! <laughs> and um. I, uh, well, I don't know. Oh, shoot. Now I don't know what to do. I See, I want to just hang out with Sersha, so I guess that means I just have to fuck Lucas. But that seems weird. He's I don't want to kill him. The whole thing's 
seems weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm killing Chalamet, I'm fucking Hedges, and I'm marrying Sersha. There you go. That works. Um, because Hedges does not belong in any sentence that ends in the word fuck. It just does it, not. It feels weird. Like, I, we really just need to be friends and hang out and watch classic movies. Um, James Hart also sent in one, this time inspired by Bad Times at the El Royale, which Yay. he watched and loved. Yay! Uh, because, of course, it's a great movie. So... I'll take my check, please. (laughs) (laughs) Chris Hemsworth, John Hamm, and Lewis Pullman. I feel like this is a trap. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll throw mine out because we all know it's super easy. Um, I'd have to kill Lewis Pullman. I'm sorry, Kim. I'm sorry, but I I have to, based on what we all know and what we all assume. I I have to. Um, (laughs) So it comes down to what I know about each one of those in the gossip world. Okay, so John Hamm has a penchant for drinking, so I'm just going to marry him, and then you do all sorts of tawdry, unholy things to Chris Hemsworth. So there you go. (laughs) Boom. Kim. Well, I do have to say before I give mine, what about what John Hamm is supposedly packing? Yeah, you marry him and then just keep <laughs> him sober forever. Just, just okay, easy. I know. Yeah, see, I, I see. I I was, but I th- going based on what I just said, I do have to completely reverse that. I say you fuck Chris Hemsworth just because you marry Lewis <laughs> Pullman and then you kill John Hamm. Aww. <laughs> yeah, see, I could I, I could actually go with that too. So see, I I see this totally differently. I am so sorry, Lewis Pullman, but I'm going to have to sacrifice you to the volcano god. And um, I will fuck John Hamm, and then I will stare at Chris Hemsworth's beautiful face for the rest of my life. Actually, I'm just going to go with that. So, yeah, just completely ignore everything I say. Karen made a better argument. That wins. More Pullman-y goodness for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... Halloween edition. So we've each chosen a category, and we've I, each I chosen... I picked two, technically. I, okay. I halved mine. All right. Well, that's cool. And we've each chosen three names, but we have not shared them with the other two. So uh, that way this is just, boom, on the spot. So, can, uh, Kristen, why don't you give us one of yours? Okay, so I did horror movie men. These are all villains, okay? And I pulled from all horror movies because I didn't want this to be too terrible. So we're going to go, inspired by... I think Lauren mentioned it. We're going to go with Tony Todd as Candyman. <laughs> Gary Oldman's take on Dracula. And Pinhead from Hellraiser. Okay. Go. Um, oh, man. Well, shit. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to kill Pinhead. I'm way too good at these games. <laughs> I'm going to kill Pinhead. Um, I guess I'll fuck the Candyman and marry Dracula. Same. I gotta go with same there. <laughs> ah, I, I'm okay. I'm not gonna share mine because it's terrible. You have to share yours. Now you have oh, to share the since game. You said that. So I mean, you kill. I, I haven't seen Candyman, so I can't really comment. I know clips of it. So unfortunately, Tony Todd would have to, to go. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, he follows me on Twitter, so I feel very bad. Um, and then. I probably have to go with Hellraiser in the fuck category because, like, that's a story to tell your grandkids. <laughs> and then you marry Gary Oldman's Dracula, 
and just hope that he doesn't get like all moony eyed and annoying. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, let's see. Do you want to do your other one now? Two? Sure. So my other one is just dudes who have been in horror movies. So I tried to go with like people we know. And it turns out that a lot of men have a horror movie past, and it's hilarious because, of course, they do. So <laughs> I'm going to go. So are we choosing from the dudes or from the characters they played in the horror movies? We're going to choose from the dudes just themselves. Well, they okay. look at the time. Okay. Okay. So, and I have to get the exact number of which one they were in because some of them have been in sequels. So we're going to go with Kevin Bacon in Friday the 13th. <laughs> oh, okay, the next one is... Hold on, I have to remember which which one he's in. Paul Rudd in Halloween 6. Mm-hmm. The Curse of Michael Myers. <laughs> or, yeah, so... And then you also have my sweet baby Henry Cavill, who was in... Hold on. Hellraiser 8. Hellworld. Oh, Boom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a special movie, by well, the way. Don't I'm ever watch it. It's awful. Pretty sure you know there. who I'm going to kill in that lineup. <laughs> I know who you're going to kill. Karen, why don't you go first? Bye, Henry Cavill. You're dead to don't me. Um, I think I'm going to fuck Kevin Bacon and marry Paul Rudd. That feels right. All of that sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then I'm, I'm doubly wrong because I'm fucking Kevin Bacon marrying Paul Rudd and killing Henry Cavill. Yep. <laughs> That's the right answer, Kim. <laughs> um, so I, we all know exactly what would happen, okay? I'd have to kill Kevin Bacon. Oh, see, I thought because... you'd be killing Paul Rudd. <laughs> no, I, I'd probably marry Paul Rudd because he was in Clueless. He seems like a nice guy. And then... He, we all know I love Henry Cavill. Okay, so what you do? No. I know. I would, that is brand like new information. Happens. It is new information. <laughs> it is. It's literally an enigma about myself. I know. I have. To, I have to admit my my faults. And yeah, there you go. All right, Kim, do you have your category ready to go? Yes, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna mix it up from what I initially thought, but I'm going to say classic. So similar to what Kristen just did, just with classic movie horror men. All right. So I'm going to say Basil Rathbone, Boris Karloff, and let's say Bela Lugosi. That feels like a trap. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I'd kill Bela. I'm sorry, but that whole character, that that whole performance doesn't work for me. Um, I'd have to... I'd probably have to get Frankenstein out of the way in the fuck category because I'm pretty sure it's a one-time thing only. And then I would so marry Basil Rathbone and hope, yeah, I've heard stories about that man and I love him so much. (laughs) Basil Rathbone thirst. You've heard it here in Citizen Oh, there is so much Basil Rathbone thirst, okay? (laughs) I think I have to completely agree with Kristen. Actually, same here. That makes three-time agreement here. Yeah. Basil Rathbone was married to the same woman for 50 years, and I heard it was a kinky relationship. So you know what? Good (laughs) on him. A whole new territory to Sherlock Holmes has been entered in my mind. (laughs) Oh I'm sure that's what he called it. Wait, what? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I wanted to go last because my category is Final Girls. Appropriate. 
Yeah. So we've got Laurie Strode from Halloween, Nancy Thompson from Nightmare on Elm Street, and Sydney Prescott from Scream. So we're just going characters. Yes. Okay, cool. Kristen, start. Fuck, why did you start with me first? Okay. <laughs> okay, so theoretically these people are being stalked by a horrible, horrible monster men, and I would need somebody to protect me because I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm not much in a fight. So <laughs> So let's see. Who would have a better shot of living here? Uh-huh. Okay, so I would have to kill Nancy, I think, because she's got terrible taste in men. She's dating Johnny Depp in that movie. <laughs> so that would have to... Yeah, nope, sorry, couldn't do it. And then you probably have to go fuck Sydney Prescott because she already did have sex in the movie. So she's really not going to be... Well, I mean, though the movie does undo that whole virgin trope. But nope, I'm sticking with that. And then you marry Laurie Strode. All same right. you exactly yeah. the same here. Oh, see, I swapped that. <laughs> <laughs> you did. I like it. See, I swapped that. So I definitely would kill Nancy. Sorry, um, but I'm gonna fuck Lori and marry Sydney because Sydney turns out to actually like. If you continue on with the series, she actually, she you know, she makes something of herself, and and she's. She's pretty she got badass, to hang out with, like, so. hot 90s Patrick Dempsey, too, in the, yeah. the third one. See? Yeah. So there you go. You stick with her, you can get to hang out with her cool friends. So you stick you with go. her, you get hot 90s Patrick Dempsey. I, I, okay. I, you, I can dig that. I can dig that. <laughs> so, plus her brother is Scott Foley, so, you know, it's cool. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Karen! <laughs> Spoiler alert for the 20-year-old Scream 3. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Send all your hateful tweets to Karen. Spoiler. How dare you? All right. So, um, we are introducing some new segments. And so, one of those that we're going to do today is um, Kristen is talking about shampoo, which was a su- submission from a Patreon subscriber. Yeah, we're starting this uh, new thing for people who donate $5 or uh, to Patreon. Uh, every month, that person will get to submit a movie and pick the dame of their choice that they want to watch that movie. So this was from Ryan McQuaid. And in future, we're only going to do these either on the podcast or written reviews. I actually did both. So I, so I'm not going to go mu- too much into the movie. I'm just going to say read the review when it when it on the website um but ryan mcquade suggested shampoo which is actually a movie i've seen several times and i love it it's great warren Beatty's really hot in it um it's feminism is a little weak but that's because it's a warren Beatty hal ashby film so you get what you pay for um but the full review is going to be on the website probably by the time this episode is up it will be up so go over and read that and again if you want to sub- uh submit a movie that, and, and the dame you want to watch it, please consider joining our $5 tier or higher. Higher tiers will also get the opportunity to take advantage of this. So head over to patreon.com slash citizen dame. I'm just dreading anybody listening to older episodes being like, I'm going to donate $5 per month just so I can make Kristen watch all those movies she said she didn't want to watch. 
Yeah, why why are you giving everybody suggestions, Kristen? <laughs> I'm not giving I'm officially not it's giving because, people suggestions. It's because she actually secretly does want to watch all these She's things. She's a glutton for punishment. Nope. She will do a lot of things for money, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that, Karen. That that's actually gonna be one of the buttons I put on our merchandise. Okay. Are you listening, Chris yes. Hemsworth? Are you listening? <laughs> I do just want to throw out that there is a caveat on the movie suggestions. We will not watch anything that is porn. So yeah, no, nothing X-rated or. I'm not watching Armageddon on. So yeah. And 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 here's the other thing too. I call this a cheat, but you can't suggest a movie that is already listed as a separate perk. Ergo, right. so you no can't social tell network Karen to watch the social network. I argued with Karen and said that was a cheat. She said it's not. So take it up. I win. (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't want to argue with her about it. (laughs) Well, if you really want me to watch the social network, get all your friends to also subscribe to Patreon. Push us up to 500 bucks and I'll watch it. Exactly. There you go. All right. Meanwhile, I watch Mulholland Drive for free. So, you know, who's giving you, you the better re- return well, that was your, your own money? choice. <laughs> you wanted to watch Mulholland Drive, and you I loved it. I needed to you get it out of the it. way. You're Boy, thirst you thirst is your reasoning there. Boy uh-huh. was judging me every episode. I could feel it. Rightfully so. <laughs> so we also have another segment, which is Thirst Traps. And, uh, we really need to get, like, some great, like, 80s synth booming bass guy to be like thirst trap something yeah let's do it okay we're gonna we're gonna do that we'll have that for next time um but this week kim daredevil yes i uh i took a i marathoned the third season of daredevil in three days 13 episodes in three days that was a whole lot of charlie cox um (laughs) That sounds dirty. And oh, oh, he's not meant to wear shirts, kind of in that Jeff Goldblum and, you know, Earth Girls are easy kind of way. They don't get it. They just look wrong on him and they spend so much. Stop into the website if you would like to read my, I was actually quite proud of my colorful take on Charlie Cox and his chest and Charlie Cox in suits and Charlie Cox being moody. Um, And using his full name in every sentence. Yes, because you must talk about Charlie Cox. It's true. (laughs) So I went into it and they went into it. He... I was very late to the Charlie Cox game. I know a lot of a lot of people are probably sitting there screaming at this going, didn't you see him in Stardust? Well, I didn't yes. actually watch Stardust until <gasps> I started getting into Daredevil. Stardust is adorable. It, I it, love that. He's Although, adorable. Full disclosure, <laughs> I only paid money to go see Stardust when it came out because Henry Cavill was in it for two minutes. <laughs> he plays Rob <laughs> Free. Of, of course you were. Of course it was part of Full Cavill. Um, not uh, while this third season was 
I would say a nice rebound from a slightly weaker second season. I mean, taking that how you will, because John Bernthal was in season two and was an absolutely delightful Punisher. However, Amen. He was, John Bernthal was definitely the peak of a delightful Punisher. Is, <laughs> there is no other kind. That this... sounds like an S&M relationship you were willing to get into. <laughs> gray spin-off right there <laughs> that might actually not make you ill <laughs> oh my god i bring the jokes is what i say <laughs> well while this one didn't give nearly as much shirtless matt murdoch as one would have liked there was plenty of angsty matt murdoch and like I said, as I, I've started to psychoanalyze myself, and I, I seem to like the more of these I write, because I've composed, I think, two and a half thirst traps now. Like my bad boys <laughs> article showed, I, I like angst and I like baggage. And <laughs> <laughs> there's so much. Not to be confused with packages. Com- Say that again? I <laughs> said so not to be confused with packages. <laughs> get to see those i'm all for, i'm all one for full opportunity you know full full opportunity nudity here equal opportunity mm-hmm. nudity and we never get it ever that's Peace. also I'm... going on a pin nudity <laughs> is obviously not included <laughs> i'm still waiting on monsieur pine to take his pants he... off but yeah he tried to help <laughs> it's not his average. fault that they re-edited that movie <laughs> those fuckers i know at least you have the original version. It was as God meant us to see it. See no, it I saw the no, I saw the edited version. Oh, you saw the edited version? Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes me sad. Yeah. So the director's cut needs to come out. Oh yes. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but getting back to Daredevil, lots of white boy, angsty Catholic homicidal angst going on there this season. So completely, even throws on a couple of suits, so, so thirsted for that, which explains why I binged it so quickly while I still, you know, am working my day job. So if you're a Daredevil fan, tune freaking in, especially if you're a Charlie Coxie Daredevil fan. (laughs) Men act like Daredevil fans need not apply. (laughs) (laughs) Batfleck Daredevil just doesn't count anymore. Also, a movie I saw in theaters for Colin Farrell. That was was, I saw that for that reason and that reason alone, and I haven't (laughs) seen it since. Yeah. Oh man! All right. Well, thank you, Kim. So we had a couple trailers this week. Let's move through these pretty quickly so we can talk about some uh, movies. (laughs) We got a trailer for Destroyer, which is Karen Kasama's uh, film. She did The Invitation. She did Jennifer's Body. She directs this movie with Nicole Kidman as an, uh, I don't know if she's retired, but an LAPD detective who years before had some kind of a bad situation. Things went really terribly, and so I guess she's like lived with some regrets, and now she's facing down some of those people from the past. What did you guys think of this trailer? Sebastian Stan makes me happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nicole oh, Kidman yeah. really wants 
you know, and, and it's the thing that I always, I always kind of roll my eyes at that we reward actresses for being Getting unattractive. <laughs> and I like how we're definitely kind of casting off the Nicole Kidman aesthetic. I mean, she's played average women, you know, before, but this I think is her, probably her most um, stripped down performance in terms of, of look. So it looks interesting. I, I like everything Karen Kusama makes, even though yeah. most people hate them when they come out. Um, and this is coming to AFI Fest, and so I, I'm hoping to get it into my schedule because I want to see it. Yeah. Kristen, or Kim? It, I'm intrigued. I mean, and I was just on the hyping Karen Kusama train last episode, so I am definitely there. Um, I'm always down for a good Nicole Kidman performance. Um Subject matter wise, I don't know. It felt we're we're in this pepperminty stretch right now, and I don't know if this is Hollywood going. This is what women want to see: women, you know, just pepperminty women characters. I I don't know if that's what they think we want. There's a lot of that going on right now, and that's not usually an aesthetic of mine. But combining all those factors together and my shameless crush that i've always had on sebastian stan i'll check it out the makeup just does not look good like it's not just that they that they've altered nicole kidsman's face but it just looks gray and weird it does look weird yeah i just i don't know so i'll see it it is going to be at afi and then it's in theaters december 25th so that's not a good release No, not really. (laughs) So we'll see what happens there. We also got a trailer for Bird Box, which is a really weird title that I hope makes some sense in the context of the movie. But it's uh, the IMDb plot summary is a woman and a pair of children are blindfolded and make their way through a dystopian setting along a river. I had to read that plot summary because I was a little bit confused about what the movie really was supposed to be. But this is directed by Suzanne Beer. Beer? Beer? I think it's beer. Beers. Okay. Who directed things like After the Wedding and um, um, uh, like a bunch of good stuff. Oh, The Night Manager. She did The Night Manager. She actually won an Emmy for that, I think. She uh, did so Serena, really cool though, things. which is not bodes well. She's, you know, not everything is good. She, uh, she also did Things We Lost in the Fire. So, um... Yeah, what did you guys think of this trailer for Bird Box, which stars uh, Sandra Bullock, Sarah Paulson, Rosa Salazar, John Malkovich? I mean, it, it's got an unfortunate title, but it looks yeah. interesting. Um, it's it's. I think, if anything, the writer gives it more promise. It's written by Eric Hesserer, who wrote Arrival. So this this kind of gave me an arrival type vibe, which I didn't care for arrival. I'm hoping I'd like mm-hmm. this more. Um, and he also wrote the remake of The Thing, which I actually enjoyed. Um, I know a lot of people don't like that movie. So, I mean, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. That cast gives me hope. You know, you can't go wrong with Sarah Paulson in most things, and and Sandra Bullock, of course, uh, in a female directed film i mean it's got promise or it could be really terrible i was confused by it i i didn't read the plot synopsis seeing that again i i don't know how i feel about this one 
I, for some reason, as soon as it went back to the pregnancy years, I just got pulled out of it. And John Malkovich pulled me out of it even more. So I don't know if I'm quite there for this one yet. I'll see more as it comes in. And I did like The Night Manager. I watched the shit out of that, but oh, may or may not have only been for Tom Hiddleston. But <laughs> oh, we'll see. It's I, I've been blah about a lot of movies lately, and it just continues with this one. You really have. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was not really clear on what this movie was supposed to be, but I really enjoyed the trailer and I was like, okay, I'm ready to watch this now. And luckily I don't have to wait till it gets in theaters December 21st because it's going to be at AFI as well. So yay. It's also coming to Netflix. So I'm not sure if they're doing day and date or if they are going toward this model where they're releasing stuff in theaters for a couple weeks first. So I'm not sure when it will actually be on Netflix, but it will be there soon. So I'm down for it. Uh, Okay, let's talk some reviews. So um, I don't know where to start. Uh, Let's start with Bohemian Rhapsody. You guys go. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yay. Kim, I'll let you go because you I'll let you go first. Because you and Karen are also talking about another movie, so... Another piece of shit. Yeah, um, so... I sat through Bohemian Rhapsody this week. Um, it was, it was a film. I, I think, Kristen, I think you summed it up really the best. What pulled me out of this was the characterization. Uh, there was none. Exactly. There <laughs> were no... There were... There was such interesting territory that they could have mined queen is some of my favorite music i grew up on it i love everything they've ever done you've got such an interesting story there with freddie mercury there was none of that there this ended up feeling like an absolute glorified concert musical which you really didn't even get the full songs You get snippets of the songs with, oh, look at how this came about. Look at what happens when John Deacon writes another one bites the dust. And then you hear a little bit of it, then they move on. Everyone, yeah, Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury is good, but he could have been so much better had they had actual characterization behind that script. Freddie Mercury is... This felt like Freddie Mercury. To me, it felt like Freddie Mercury, the Saturday Night Live skit. It was all about him in this rock star frontman persona, in which the more interesting there thing for me there is the man behind the persona with everything that he must have been going through, everything going on in his life. The fact that this was the angle that they took on it, I wanted to see more the man behind everything that was going on and not, you know, there's that one line in the trailer where there's only room for one bitchy queen. And this exactly how it felt. It felt like such a disrespect to the character and in turn a disrespect to Malik, who this for me, this could have been an Oscar caliber role for him had they allowed him to go deeper into the character. And there wasn't a lot of that. 
The other guys, too, same example. There's so much characterization room for the Brian May character, for the John Deacon character. There's so much potential to dive into them feeling overshadowed, them, you know, the frustrated other, you know, the frustrated guy who's getting the smaller room in the hotel. You know, the feelings of conflict when Freddie breaks up the band, you know, no spoilers. Sorry, guys. But, you know, it happens briefly. And they don't. There's this very loosely threaded metaphor about family there that never actually, they keep talking about how they're a family and never quite feels like it. They say it with all the the gusto of a Fast and the Furious film. Yeah, it's, (laughs) you keep hearing about how they're a family, they just don't feel like it. But yet there's no... There's no conflict. There's no... This film makes the 1970s and 1980s look as clean as I think I've ever fucking seen it. You you know there was more going on than, you know, the occasional white powder sprinkled on the table, which may or may not have been cocaine. We don't know. <laughs> it definitely was cocaine. My... I, and I, I've said this on the Slack chat. My favorite part was adorable little Joe Mazzello. So... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> he was I, he drew he drew my eye with very he had next to nothing to do, but he did a lot with absolutely nothing. And I thought he was very fun. He's in the social network, too, by the way. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Ultimately, this you get more and I'm going to I'm going to use one of your lines, Kristen. It's you're going to get I think you get more characterization and more depth from Queen YouTube videos or or Freddie Mercury's cats. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to be meaner than Kim. <laughs> um, Ooh, good. Let's hear it. <laughs> I, I followed this project when Sasha Baron Cohen wanted to make a queen biopic, which by the way, he looks more like Freddie Mercury than Rami Malek and his little wife beater and his mustache. Okay. Freddie Mercury was a big, intimidating, tall guy, not Rami Malek. Um, so, you know, I always will mourn that because. Yeah, according to to the band, uh, he didn't take Freddie Mercury seriously. That's really code for he wanted to tell a story about Freddie Mercury and not the band. And he wanted to look at the dark side and and all of that. They did not. So, sight unseen, that had to be better than what we got. Because this feels like a movie that was found in the editing room. And it feels like a movie whose director decided to say fuck it and collect the money while being its sexual deviant and then disappear for three weeks or however, two weeks before he, uh, principal photography was finished um, and have a million other people try to find the movie that he had made. This movie feels like if it was not in the editing room, it never existed to begin with. Um, everything is, is truncated, rushed, or underdeveloped. Mer- Freddie Mercury is just this fully formed outcast who has daddy issues, but it's unclear whether those issues stem from him being gay, from Freddie Mercury liking music, Freddie Mercury having a horrible wig. I don't know. You know, you never really understand what the problem is. And that transcends the entire movie. You know, you don't know why he meets the these other band members. He talks about how he's followed them for years. Why? Uh, they play 30 seconds of the song. I didn't find any reason why he would be interested in these guys. Um, and I, I think I wrote my review. It makes that thing you do look like a struggling musician, you know, movie. Yes. <laughs> because their their rise to fame isn't just meteoric. It literally happens in the next scene. They're famous. 
That's it. Um, they are the most generic band in the world in, in this movie. There's there's no discussion of Freddie Mercury's persona, you know, the musical process that he he had. The they throw in little things like he has a keyboard on his headboard. You know, they don't talk about what he thinks about the music or anything like that. Um, the music scenes are are nice, but it's obvious that he's they're lip syncing. So it just feels like the longest episode of Lip Sync Battle. Um, and there's some horrid CGI in this movie. Oh, that last sequence was appalling. That Live that. Aid crowd is awful. They needed, of- that, they needed that to be an emotional core to the film. And I didn't even feel like Moloch was in tune with... You needed a Freddie Mercury-like performance to that. And I didn't think Moloch was even pulling it off in that And there are so many critics saying, oh, the Live Aid is the highlight. It makes the rest of the movie work. No, it does not. I don't know what you guys saw, but I thought the Live Aid sequence, which comes in the last 20... They play Live Aid. The entire sequence. sequence. You can just watch it on YouTube and get it a better version of it. Um, And the problem I have during that scene is the editing. You could get shit-faced. If you drag every time the camera cuts to another character adoringly gazing at Freddie Mercury, being like, oh, this guy, this guy's got it. They cut to the, the not girlfriend. They cut to the, the guy who is his partner for 10 years, who shows up in the final act and gets absolutely no fucking respect. They cut to every band member to look at them, look at him. They cut to people who apparently are listening, I don't know how, who Dancing aren't even in the, in the office. They, t- they come back to all these people that he's met throughout the whole movie to watch them just, like, reflect on what happened. Um, it's, it's, and, and what they do to Freddie Mercury as a character, I'm going to say, is, is offensive. It's offensive. Agreed. Um, you know, you don't get into his sexuality. You don't get into any of his... Uh, the drug use and, and the problems with the pills aside, there's no discussion of his, his relationships. The only relationship that's given any time is his heterosexual one to to mary austin who i'm so glad imdb has her name listed because i didn't remember it she has no purpose in this movie other than she's got a vagina and that's it that's why we're gonna look Mm -hmm. at it the 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 long relationship that he had with jim hutton is is just offensively thrown in there to please people on wiki you know it's not developed or anything like that the movie has this very vh1 and then quality and now he's on drugs and now he's in leather bars. And now I guess he's questioning his sexuality. You know, nothing develops. Nothing. Things just happen. And the fact that you can tell that the other band members wanted to keep themselves as squeaky clean as possible is obvious. I have never seen a movie that you can tell so many cooks in the kitchen and yet none of them are passionate about it. If Brian Singer talked about how he much he wanted to make this movie for years, I felt no passion for the subject. I felt no interest. Um, it, it has no clue what it wants. It, it's a Queen cover band recreating their greatest moments for two and a half hours. And that's not a movie that I feel the need to go see. Go listen to the Queen Spotify playlist. Go watch YouTube videos. You're going to get a far better experience. Exactly. All right, then. That is uh, coming to theaters next week. It's in some select theaters now, I think, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, if you really must. Or you can just go on YouTube. (laughs) A movie that is in theaters this weekend is a little directorial debut from Jonah Hill, 
who you may know from such wonderful films as, you know, Superbad and... And being killed by all of us in the recent Fuck, Mary Kill yep. that we just did. That is also true. So, Jonah Hill makes his directorial, feature directorial debut with mid-90s. Um, Kim, please you start. Fuck this movie. <laughs> I just have to say, I walked out, I finished, like, as the credits are rolling, I messaged all of us. <laughs> I'm just telling the listeners this. So yeah. I, I sent a message to everybody. I said, fuck Jonah Hill and not in the Chris Hemsworth way. <laughs> God, Continue. what is there to be said about this goddamn fucking movie? I, I, this is by far the longest 80 minute sit. I have. Oh my gosh. Had. Yes. That yes. it. 80 fucking minutes, and God, that felt like probably two and a half hours for me. Um, they lost me in the get-go. No no script to fucking speak of. I'm sorry, if you're going to make your directorial debut with, you know, writing your own script, dear God, I, to the studio, bring somebody in to help work on the script. This, there's, this is completely devoid of any story. This is completely devoid of any goddamn characters. It is a long-winded, rose-colored glasses examination of skater culture in Southern California, I'm assuming, during the mid-1990s. We follow little Stevie, uh, is it Sonny Suljic? Um, yeah. Uh, working class, and you know, your stereotypical working class boy. Um, A24 has done something similar. It felt like this movie felt like it was desperate to be the Florida project with some ladybird thrown in. And it misses everything by an absolute mile. Stevie falls in with a group of older boys at a skate shop. And then we see this, there's this development of a family like relationship with all these boys as they drink and drink and skate and have sex and just be really underdeveloped annoying individuals um worst i the movie what frustrated me the most is this movie could have had a message there could it could have said something and it doesn't really get there until the last i would say deep 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 in the last act in which one of the older boys kind of sits down Stevie, who's already kind of beside himself with the way things are going and kind of talks about how all of these other boys have issues. There's, there's abuse and learning troubles and all of this stuff is going on. Show us Jonah Ray or Jonah Hill. Show us. Don't fucking tell us it's, they completely ignore anything beyond this formative, this performative character structure. So you just see these boys acting how they would around everybody else. And it's just, there's, there's no development of these characters beyond what they want everybody else to see. I found this particularly annoying with Stevie's mother, the Catherine Waterston character. And then what I'm assuming is Stevie's brother played again by Lucas Hedges. I didn't think they could waste either of these two performers. I mean, Lucas Hedges is good in pretty much anything he does, and they fucking waste Lucas Hedges. 
and you could see Lucas Hedges just trying to put any fucking character development he can into this character. And it is just, there's such a disconnect between the shallow husk of a piddly ass script and what they're trying to do. So there's no message. And then if, do we even talk about the position of how this film chooses to depict women. As I said in my review, there is a difference between looking at historical movements and nostalgia through rose-colored glasses and actually asking and act and depicting things how they are. This is such an idealistic, idealized take on this era when and women in this movie are you know bitches, pussy and hoes the sex scene with Stevie and the Alexa Demi character, who I don't even think is fucking even given a name for, I found borderline disturbing and triggering in a, you know, an industry that's having such issues with exploitation to have this scene as being seen as a celebratory coming of manhood scene for a character. I, I just, I'm speechless just how wrong this film chose to take this angle sure that i get this is coming from your childhood jonah hill but it's you need if we're doing this we need to at least look at things from a contemporary perspective and you need to be making these points you need to be going into these characters you giving us this glorified you know boys will be boys narrative is out of fucking it's out of place right now. It feels out of time and it's a problematic, troubling movie. And I recommend nobody see it because I thought it was a waste of time. I will agree with uh, all of that. I, I felt like the, there's really the character development in through every character was um, very lazy. It was almost non-existent. It really, I think that your comparison to the Florida project is actually, that was a really good one because the Florida project, it goes through almost like a series of vignettes. It just kind of follows these little kids around and like, just kind of explores what they do with their time. But it was very effective. In this case, it's like, oh my gosh, these boys just need to stop talking for five minutes. Like, just shut the fuck up, you know? And because there's no exploration of who they are. It's just it's just listening in on these conversations, these completely mundane, boring conversations that they have. There are jokes about rape at the very beginning that are really uh-huh. disturbing. Um, and And there's no... There's no condemnation of any of that. I mean, the only thing that happens in that moment is there happened to be another customer in the store who's like, I'm not coming back here, and he leaves. And then they just laugh about it. Like, who even owns that freaking skateboard shop? I don't know. I was They're not clear on that. They're losing money, whoever they are. <laughs> Big time, yeah. Uh, those kids never work. But, um, <laughs> like, it just, it was, it was boring. It was frustrating. I completely agree that this felt like two and a half hours packed into 80 minutes or something. I don't know. It was, it was so frustrating. Like there were times where I thought, Oh, well I know this movie isn't even an hour and a half. It's got to be wrapping up soon. And then more would happen. And I'm just like, come on now. And one of the, my biggest problems is that everything bad that happens in this movie ends up leading to zero consequences. Exactly. Not (laughs) one single consequence to anything wrong. Anyone does throughout. And I have a major problem 
you already brought this up and I'm going to co-sign on it. You already, uh, you talked about the scene between him and this older girl. It's not clear how old she is, but she's got to be at least 16. She's old enough to know fucking better. Exactly. And the problem is, so Stevie is supposed to be 13. Sunny was 12 when they filmed this. Mm -hmm. And so you have a sex scene between a 12 year old boy and a girl who is maybe she, I don't know how old the actress is. I was trying. That's why I was asking. I was trying to figure. She's the one who I was asking about yesterday. I've been trying to figure out how old she is and you can't, I've not been able to locate it. Regardless of how old she is, I had a big problem with, I mean, we're seeing so many problems with sexualization of children and to have a kid in a scene where, yes, a lot of it was actually happened off screen and it ends up being just him talking about it, but he actually helps her take her shirt off. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is going a little too far here. And then in the next scene, he starts talking about the stuff that she did to him and all the boys are like, yeah, that's so cool. You're awesome. You're a man now. And it's like. No, no, like, this is no. not, this is not okay. I was very uncomfortable with that too. scene, the way it played out. So yeah, overall, this movie is terrible. Um, it's boring. It's trite. There's no real intelligence to it on nope. any level. And when it was over, there was a guy in the well, back. What's so funny that the- you, you brought up that it sounds, it's 90 minutes and it sounds, all seems long because didn't Vince Mancini just write an article about how movies that are two hours and 20 minutes need to go away? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, you can have a great movie that's over two hours, as long as you fill your time effectively. And exactly. Jonah Hill does not know what to do with his time. He just doesn't. I wish so. I had a production company who was as fucking willing to give me a budget as, <laughs> you know, with all the women who are struggling to make movies and tell stories. The fact that somebody fucking gave Jonah Hill money and time to make this vapid piece of trash really angers me. Well, let's face it, they couldn't have given him much, because this this looks like a very low-budget film. Oh, that, that aspect, right? That, stylistically, the, he has no clue on how to direct, either, well, they, because yeah. terrible The aspect places. ratio could have been okay, because, I, I mean, I kind of got this vibe of, like, a snapshot of this, you know, this earlier time, 20 years ago. He wanted ago. it to look like video camera footage from the 90s. Right, but the problem is that you need to understand that movie theaters do not mask their screens anymore. So nobody's going to actually see the movie in that aspect ratio. They're going to see it as just this weird thing with these big black lines on the side. So it just, yeah, it, there was no need for it. So This anyway. felt like a beginning film student with a budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it did. So... Uh, but yeah, when it was over and the credits were rolling, this guy in the back of the theater stood up and he's just like, what the fuck was that? And he just like walked out. I'm glad you said <laughs> that because so my funny. audience fucking applauded. A <laughs> um, few people did in mine too, but that guy, I was just like, you are my people. The audience that so. I was with at Bohemian Rhapsody loved it, by the way. A lot of people Mine's are loving that movie, yeah. yeah. I mean, just look at the Twitter responses. It's oh, God. Crazy. So, anyway, so mid 90s is. Um, Skip it. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not one to advocate for, like, don't see movies, but this is one that you're you're better off missing. This, is, be this, un- has been, this has been the only movie I have ever seen where I have said this story does not need to be told. Yeah. Usually, well, there's I'm no an story advocate. to tell. They're not exactly. telling a story. Yeah. There's. This does not, we don't need an examination of this. It's a waste. 
It is. So, anyway, all right. So that's going to wrap us up for this week because we have talked a lot about things. So um, let's close up shop. Um, let's see. You can follow the podcast everywhere that you listen to podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, uh, Apple, SoundCloud, all those fun places. You can find us on the web. We Our official website is citizendamepod.com. You can also find us on Facebook, the ghost town. That is Facebook, facebook.com slash citizendame. Twitter, at citizendamepod. You can email us, citizendamepod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find our Patreon, patreon.com slash citizendame. If you would like to recommend a movie for, you know, Kim to watch that stars Jonah Hill and uh <laughs> <laughs> thank you for giving them that idea <laughs> you know i'm here for you um but we also have some other great bonus content on there our jeff goldblum episode is live we have uh, other fun things to that are currently available and also some fun stuff that's going to be coming up in the next weeks and months that we're excited about uh, you can also find us on our individual Twitters. Lauren, who is not with us today, is at LH Business. I am at Karen M. Peterson. Kristen, where are you? At Kiernese underscore film. And Kim? On Twitter and Instagram at kpierce624. All right. And thank you, as always, for joining us. And have fun at movies that are not mid-90s or Bohemian Rhapsody. And we'll see you next time. What's that? Higher. Can you go a bit higher? If I go any higher, only dogs will hear me. Try. Galileo! Galileo Figaro! Higher. Jesus, how many more Galileos do you want? One more, one more. Galileo! One more. Galileo! Galileo! Go on, roll the track. Who even is Galileo? Are we done? That's it. He loves you.